welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Dave, for being a, a guest with me this morning on the podcast. Absolutely. Totally my pleasure, Will. And so we have a mutual friend, my sister, mm -hmm. and she um, mentioned you and said, you know, I ought to ask you to be a guest on my podcast. So I didn't even ask her why, um, but I just said, okay. Yeah, and you know, I thought that was really amazing because, I mean, within five minutes of her sending that to you, you had texted me and said, hey, I want you to be on my podcast. And I'm like, wow, you have a lot of faith. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so... Um, I don't know a whole lot about you, except that you and my sister go way back, yeah. um, have known each other for a long time, and um, and you mentioned that your um, wife passed away a yeah. few years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, you live over in Illinois, and, um, and what do you do for a living? So I actually work for a very large insurance company, okay. uh, State Farm, Okay, and I do business continuity for our claims areas over there. Okay. What's business continuity? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, business continuity is very close to my Christian faith, actually. Um, we prepare for the worst, right? So because we're a large insurance company, there are a lot of uh, rules and regulations that we have to follow. And one of those is that we have to be able to service our customers no matter what happens. So when the pandemic hit, we had a plan in place of okay. how we were going to handle it, how we were going to uh, move our people from being in the office to at home. And um, in order to do that, had we not had exercised our plans, exercised our processes, worked through all of that, we, we would have probably floundered. Um, and so they don't always follow our directions, right? But what they do do is uh, they take that base and they run with that and, and make decisions. And so we do that for uh, four different areas of uh of our uh of of our company at the operation we do it for technology because if we lose technology that's i mean it could devastate us right mm -hmm. we do it for people we do it for our vendors we have vendors and there's one more people technology oh facilities okay. so if we lose a facility like what we did for the pandemic so so basically it's your job just to make sure everything continues run smoothly and continues when there's obstacles? My job is to make sure that the operations have okay. a plan in place. So okay. we help them. We actually exercise their plans every year to make sure that what they have planned truly will work for what they have and that their vice presidents approve that plan as well. So, yeah. Okay. That's kind yeah, of it's exciting. I've been doing it for seven years, and it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, well, cool. All right, and then um, you mentioned, you know, your Christian faith. Uh -huh. so does that go way back? Or yeah, you know, there wasn't a time that I wasn't a Christian, right? I mean, I always joke, people talk about, um, you know, whenever the doors are open, we were, we were there. My family was the one that opened the doors, you know. <laughs> Small church, we had keys to the building, you know, and so we would open it up on Sunday mornings and any other time that there were things. But yeah, I, you know, I became a Christian at the age of five years old. I mean, I had a, I had a, a prickling of my heart on an Easter Sunday, and um, I didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, 
but I knew that there was something that I, that I wanted. And all through uh, my, my, my growing up years, I did the typical, and I hate to mention the denomination, but it, you know, a lot of the, a lot of people in the denomination I grew up with has the same testimony, you know, became a Christian at a young age, fell away, um, found Christ at a later time. And I didn't really ever fall away. I think it's very similar to how my life is today. You know, I'm going along great, and then all of a sudden I get distracted, and I'm not in the Word, and I'm not doing the things that I need to be doing. And and I think that's just typical of uh, a lot of our lives, really. And I fell into that trap. Um, I had the I had the privilege of going to church camps when I uh, was a youngster, so had the opportunity to rededicate my life many, many times, right? Um, just because I was convicted at those times. And so I've always had the privilege of having people in my life or um, groups or activities that always brought me back to Jesus. Had the opportunity, I went to American Baptist College, thought I wanted to be a youth minister, and then I met the youth of Chicago and decided that's not what I was called to do. <laughs> And so I actually got into radio and television. That was what my degree was in. So really? huh. worked at a Christian radio station for a very short while, and then um, worked for a local newspaper company. So yeah, oh, okay. And what did you do with the newspaper? Oh, you know, it's funny. It was the worst job I've ever had in my yeah. life. I was a district sales manager. So hmm. those kids back in the '80s and '90s that delivered the papers to your house. Mm-hmm. I was in charge of making sure that they delivered the papers to your house the right way, and mm-hmm. it was yeah, it was very difficult. So, um, you know, when it comes to Christianity, what would you say is like the essence of it, like in a nutshell? Wow. Um, you know, I think, I think faith is, is the biggest thing, right? I mean, obviously, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the, that's the forefront of it all. And in order to have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got to have the faith that goes along with it. You have to believe in the unbelievable, there's a lot of things in Scripture that just doesn't make sense, that we just can't put our arms around. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle with, what is it? Um, how do I... It just doesn't make sense to me, right? From a... From, from a... Uh, from a... Smart perspective, from a, from a ability to think through and what does what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And I think the most important thing is, is, is you just have to believe the unbelievable. And like resurrection, that's like the unbelievable, I guess. Well, right? I mean, for some people it is, but when you accept Christ at five years old, that's just the norm. I mean, mm-hmm. I always knew that, that Christ, I, I never, ever second-guessed that. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, you run into people who are like, that just doesn't make sense. And I'm like, how does it not make sense? Mm-hmm. And it just comes down to faith. And then why believe the unbelievable? Um I mean, what gives you your what gives you confidence? Um, because you don't believe that um, you're believing something that's not true. So, why believe the unbelievable? Um, so I've always said that that uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, again, having having had that um, in my heart and in my life as a young person, um, and and walking in my life where God has always showed me that he's in charge. And that has never been more visible until my wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And when she was, you know, I mean, that's, 
I had always lived a protected life. I mean, I had always tried to do the right thing, always tried to please everybody. And when, when our lives fell apart, I knew better than to say, God, what are you doing wrong? I found out later that I did do that. But in my brain, I thought, nope, nope, God's in charge and I'm not. And it's funny because throughout our all of, I mean, we were married for 32 years, but we were in small groups at church. We were involved in that. And it always seemed like somehow whatever we were studying in small groups always came back to, it's not about me. And that was a hard lesson I had to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that lesson, I think I was being prepared for that lesson when, mm-hmm. when Cheryl was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So she was, that must, she must've been pretty young when she, she was, was. she's 47, 47. That is young. Yeah. And, um, so I've, um, yeah, I've heard of, um, like in young people sometimes being diagnosed with that. Um, I always have a hard time pronouncing it all, all high, all Alzheimer's, ALZ, Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, and then what, you know, how did, what, how did she first start, what was first happening where yeah. y'all looked into it and found out and so forth? Yeah, so because of her young age, um, <clears throat> she called me one day, uh, and she was driving to the eye doctor, and she just said, I cannot find the eye doctor, and I'm going to be late. And the eye doctor was not like a country doctor. He was on the main thoroughfare of town. She should have known exactly how to get there. And so we lived in the country, and I said, can you make it back home? And, of course, she was worried about the doctor's office and not being on time, and so she was fretting about that. I said, just just get home, and I'll come home. So I got home, and this was like the second, third thing that actually happened. That was just, It just wasn't her. It was a little strange. Mm-hmm. And so we called the doctor's office and asked them, you know, we're, we're having some difficulties. Can we, can we schedule an appointment? So they came in, went to the doctor, and um, they didn't look at the cognitive stuff at all, but they wanted to do an MRI. So they scheduled the MRI. I was with Cheryl when we went to go to the MRI, but I was traveling when they read the MRI and gave Cheryl the, the results. And on spoiler alert, um, what they told Cheryl... I found out a year and a half was, let me rephrase that. What Cheryl told me they told her was different than what I found out almost two years later. So the MRI showed that she had atrophy of the brain, that she truly had a a potential cognitive problem. Mm -hmm. But Cheryl tells me they didn't find anything. And Mm -hmm. she didn't do it on purpose. It was Mm -hmm. just her brain was already, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what she heard. And after she was diagnosed, we were in the emergency room for, uh, um, she was having trouble with some of the meds they gave her. And the, uh, I made some comment to the doctor about, you know, uh, this is a fairly new diagnosis. And he says, what are you talking about? I said, the MRI two years ago showed that she had atrophy of the brain. And I said, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So he shows me, a, he shows me a, um, a copy of the MRI and I was, I was dumbfounded. So they had it during that time, then they were had, they were the, my wife's gynecologist was treating her for, um, hormonal problems because that's what they truly thought it was. And 
um, I, uh, as things continued to progress and as she started to, to have other issues, um, the biggest, the biggest was she was a food service worker for the local school because mm-hmm. she just loved kids and, and, uh, loved working with the kids. She was the head cashier. So she had to take the money and had to, you know, I mean, she wasn't just food, for, for, uh, serving food. She was actually, she actually had a, a you know, a difficult position. Mm-hmm. And uh, her manager retired. And so she got this young guy that came in. And my wife, Cheryl, didn't dislike anybody. She'd get along with anybody. She started coming home complaining about this new guy. And so I finally said, I said, what exactly is it that you are struggling with? And she literally says to me, he wants me to stack milk. And I'm like, okay, stack milk. And she just, she... um she didn't want to do it. Well, I found out later she couldn't figure out how to stack milk. Her brain was okay with doing all the things that she had done over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But she, a simple task like stacking milk, she couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, we've, we've got a problem. But I didn't know exactly what the problem was. And then out of the blue, she says, I'm quitting. I'm just, I'm just going gonna, gonna to quit. And she was literally nine months away from having a retirement benefit and she didn't think through any of that quit was able to find another job at the local university um, in the nursery doing food service stuff well the to answer your question will uh, the first week she was there they started writing her up because she wasn't doing anything right it truly I tell people this all the time I said it truly looked like she was a 16 year old kid who was told you will work and she was bound and determined to prove me that she wasn't going to work. I mean, it just was awful. <laughs> and so at that point, once I got that back, I called her gynecologist and I said, here's what's going on. And they're like, she didn't tell us any of that was going on. We're going to refer you to the SIU school of uh, aging medicine uh, on aging in Springfield. And within 20 minutes of talking to the nurse practitioner there. She just looked at me and said, there's no doubt she has, she has some form of mild cognitive impairment. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea exactly what that meant. Um, until we were walking out of there and one of the nurses was very empathetic. Um, she was fantastic. So when I say this, it sounds, it sounds rude, but what she said to us was, I am so sorry for what you're about to go through. Hmm. And it was at that point that I realized our lives just changed. Hmm. I was excited to get the diagnosis because we had been two years of trying to figure out what was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So I was excited until I started looking into exactly what that meant. And so far, they're not using the word Alzheimer's? Yeah, so mild cognitive impairment is first. Back when Cheryl was diagnosed in 2012, um, they didn't have the resources that they have now. Today, they can they can tell you if it's Alzheimer's, if it's Lewy body dementia, if it's uh, frontal temporal dementia. There are over 70 types mm-hmm. of dementias. Mm-hmm. Alzheimer's is 60 to 80% of all dementias is Alzheimer's. So you will hear people, unless it's a specific diagnosis, they'll just say they have Alzheimer's. So dementia is the umbrella term. And then all the other things are right underneath that. Right. So um, with Cheryl, um, one of their biggest hangups was, was that she was the first one in her family. 
large family. Her mother had like 12 siblings mm -hmm. and nobody, I mean, there are lots of nurses. So I, I was able to go back and ask, you know, is there a history? And there was, there was no history at all. Mm -hmm. So they struggled. They gave me, they gave me two options. They said it was either frontal temporal dementia which at that time, my understanding of it was that was the Tourette's of dementia, the filter. Mm -hmm. And once the, the frontal cortex is gone, that's where your filter is. Um, okay. And so that's a brutal, I mean, all dementias are brutal, but, but that's just a different, you know, brutal. Um, or, it was, or it was Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And um, she didn't have any of the, the indicators from FTD. Uh, frontal temporal and so we just assumed that it was was alzheimer's mm -hmm. and um our journey through alzheimer's was was strangely enough people are going to think this is crazy but it was beautiful hmm. so um it just seems like so dementia is like a physical disease where the brain is like actually like athro getting smaller um yeah. and like what causes this uh so there's so the best way that i could there's a there's a you know big flowery art you know the doctors can tell you exactly what it is but in my mind it's like um back when you were a kid and you swallowed gum mm -hmm. instead of it going to your stomach it goes to your brain and they're called amyloids mm -hmm. and they're it's a very sticky substance that the brain typically a healthy brain can combat that Mm -hmm. But an unhealthy brain, those sticky amyloids attach and grow, and they they stick to um, a lot of your cells in your brain, and it and it eats your brain. Basically, it, it diminishes the brain because the oxygen can't get to it. You can't exercise your brain through a lot of those things, and so um, they that's that's really all the research and everything has in the past has been towards figuring out how to make that sticky substance not not grab their brain and they have branched off into some other areas now um you know they say if you eat healthy that that helps with that the mediterranean diet's really a big thing right now but again the big saying right now is what's healthy what's good for your heart is good for your health and what's good for your health is good for your brain so this isn't like a natural aging type of thing because no. you think of like people um you know, their cognitive ability d diminishing as they get old, but this is like a, not related to aging at all. Yeah, it's a no, disease. That's, that's a phenomenal point. We do a, we do a class called the 10 warning signs of Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and we continue to reiterate the fact that Alzheimer's, even though it is like, um, one in nine adults over the age of 65 have Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. But it's not a typical result of aging. I mean, it's it's not. Mm -hmm. um, at the older you get, those percentages drop. So, like after ninety, one in three. So, mm -hmm. and part of that is because at ninety, your brain is really uh, past the life expectancy of a of a natural brain. So, I think those those uh, plaques and tangles that that they talk about inside the brain. Um, as a 90-year-old, you're not, you, you typically, you're not exercising, you're not eating right, you're not walking around, you're not reading, you're not doing all the things that, a, that a, we'll say, a 60-year-old might be doing or a 30-year-old might be doing, which is why a lot of times you may have the symptoms for 20 years and not even know it 
because you're super active, you're doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. But if you have this little, what, what, you know, there's a, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm more on the care and support side, right? Mm -hmm. Cause I'm not the smart guy that's, that's trying to figure all this out, but there are, um, there's an indicator that if you have it, so like when Cheryl has it, my kids could get tested to find out if they have this, this indicator. And I'm using the wrong word, but that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. And if they, if my kids have that, they then have a 50, 50 chance of getting it. Mm-hmm. If you get tested and you don't have it, you're, you're, you're not going to, I mean, they've, the, the science has come far enough that they can at least tell. So my kids have said, we don't want to get tested because now mm-hmm. if I get tested and I find that I have the indicator Mm-hmm. Now, I'm fretting whether I am I on the fifty percent that gets it or on the fifty percent that doesn't get it, and they don't want to change the way they're living their lives. But you, if you think that um, you ha- you're more inclined to have it to get it, pr- and you know early, isn't there things you can do to kind of? Um... Uh, yes and no. Okay. Yeah. Um, the things that you can do, we all should be doing, whether we okay. have the indicator or not. I see. Yeah. However, there is a brand new drug that has just come out, and um, the sciences behind the medications that are coming out now are are going to grow. They say this is a wonderful time to be in the research area because we're we're getting our arms around what's causing it, what's working. Um, we had a drug that was just approved by the FDA and was approved by Medicare that um, now they're for Medicare people who have it, they're, they're giving it to them if they qualify. Now, to, in order to qualify, you have to be in a trial, which is always good. I mean, we're not going to figure stuff out without a trial. And um, you have to be in the very early stages. Well, going back to what you said, how do you know you're in the early stages unless you've been tested. So there are a lot of people that will get that. Some of the testing now that the neurologists are doing back when Cheryl was diagnosed, they had them write, you know, draw a clock on the paper and, and try to trace the Cause, cause strangely enough, um, every time my wife drew a clock, when we went in there, she would draw it backwards. And it was like, hmm. And they're like that. It's just it's one of those indicators that we see. And I'm like, how is that? And she can never get from ten, eleven, and twelve. She'd never get it up there. She she'd have one through nine backwards, and then ten, eleven, twelve would never be there. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the things that they look at initially. And then um, and then my wife went through a six hour neuropsych exam, and an hour and a half of that. I'm also talking to the psychologist while she's going through those. And we went, they broke it up, let us go to lunch. And, and I remember Cheryl, we went to lunch and Cheryl looks at me and says, I just feel so stupid because mm-hmm. the things they were asking her, she had no answers for, but she knew she should have answers for it. Mm-hmm. And I felt so bad for her because there was nothing I could do. I, I couldn't, I couldn't support her in any way. But I, I when I was having my conversation with the psychologist, was like 20 minutes in he's like no doubt she definitely you guys you know we're going to prescribe we're going to do this this is the plan this is where we're going to go mm-hmm. um but unfortunately it was there was there was no medication and even the medication that we have today has only been effective on like 20 percent of the people that, that have taken it because it has to be perfect mm-hmm. and so even though the fda has approved it we can't stop 
we have to continue on. And here's why. I'm going to give you some statistics, okay? Okay. Um, and yes, I have a bunch of information here, so I'm, I'm reading. But over 6 million people uh, age 65 and older are living with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, under 200,000 of those, or 200,000 of those are under the age of 65. So, and this is worldwide. So my wife was in that 200,000. So when you think about 6 million have it and people under the age of 65, there's just a very, very small percentage. Mm-hmm. So because of that, they're not, they're not looking for a fix necessarily for the younger onset mm-hmm. because that's not where the numbers are. So that's frustrating as, as a, someone who's going through it with someone under the age of, of we'll, say 60, we'll say 50, until you turn 50, you can't even get into a trial. And then because of her age and because of the physical things that she was going through as a woman, um, those weren't anomalies that the typical dementia person had, so they wouldn't put her in a trial because they all want those similarities. So it was very, very frustrating for me as she was going, as she was going through those. Um, they expect the numbers to grow to $12.7 million, 20, 12.7 million people by the year 2050, which is why we have to figure something out sooner rather than later. This disease could very easily bankrupt Medicare hmm. because as soon as Cheryl was diagnosed, they automatically put her on Medicare. You automatically qualify for Medicare at that point. Hmm. But because I was still working, we never touched Medicare, but it was that, it was that blanket that was there because let's face it, not everybody has good insurance or, or has insurance at that point. Um, the, the big thing though, in, in, um, in 2021, Alzheimer's and all the dementia was estimated to cost the nation $355 billion, including 235 billion in Medicare and Medicaid payments. And I will tell you the new drug is astronomically expensive Hmm. and, that's why it took so long to get it approved. I'm convinced that's why it took so long to get it approved um, mm-hmm. through the uh, the Medicare system. They fought it for a, for a while, um, and I think it's because they see what it could typically do. And so, um, when you look at that, they're anticipating that number to go from two two hundred thirty nine billion, or I'm sorry, from three hundred fifty five billion to one point one trillion in twenty fifty. So we have to do something, you know, that doesn't even take into consideration all the people that are actually living with this, which is where my heart is, right? I've, I've gone through this journey. I volunteer with the association because I learned a lot in our seven year journey through Alzheimer's and I am a community educator. I, I do presentations. I, I want people to know that there's a place that they can go to learn about Alzheimer's and that they're not the only ones. We have support groups, we have webinars, we have educational programs, we have um, presentations that we will do, we have caregiver conferences, we, we do all kinds of things. And one of the things that I would really like to point out is when I first started working with the association back in, uh, Cheryl was diagnosed in 12, and as a family we had to figure out we have to do something. I can't just I can't just take care of Cheryl. I, I have to do something. So we started our first walk team. We called it Cheryl's Holy Guacamoles because in 2014, she walked and walked and walked. I mean, around the house, she had friends that would come pick her up. They would take her walking. And because she talked about Jesus and sang 
Christian songs all the time. Her friends that took her walking said, how about we name your team Cheryl's Holy Walkamoles? And I thought, what a great idea. So in 2014, we started this walk team. And at that point, um, I always called it the, the association, the Alzheimer's Association, because that's what it was to me. It was, it was a place to go to grab information. They have chat rooms. They have message boards. They have all kinds of people that are volunteers that really try to support those people that are on this journey. So then, I don't remember when, when this exactly happened, but then as I started volunteering and working with the association, it became the association. So it was different for me. I was, I was, I was part of the family, right? So we went from the Alzheimer's Association to now it's the association. And so as I would teach and I would do that, all the presentations would talk about the associate, the, the Alzheimer's Association and all the things. And, and eventually, now, today, when I do my presentations, I say, we. Hmm. Because now I'm on the board of directors. I actually have ownership. I care about where the association is going. I care about what they're doing. And for me, that was a... That was a light bulb that came on where I could see my progression of, I'm holding my hands up, the Alzheimer's Association, it's all I want. I just want information mm-hmm. to the association. Let me come alongside and, and help you do something. Um, and then and now it's, it's we as the association because, not just because I'm a board member, but I became a board member because of all the things that I was doing for, for the association and wanting to make sure that we were providing the help and support that people have because this is an extremely lonely journey. So why are the numbers growing? Because the technology allows us to um, diagnose people. So so it's not necessarily that more people are getting the disease, yeah. but it's just that it's detected. I think that's I okay. think that's true. I think you'll see that 200,000 number grow mm-hmm. big time because now we have the technology to start you know, again, think about when Cheryl was diagnosed, we, they didn't, they didn't know exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have the technology. Now we have the technology to be able to say, you know, you might want to consider Alzheimer's. We're getting it out there. We're, we're, we're talking about the association. Um, we do a lot of, um, uh, we go to, to Congress. They have a, a whole nother, it's called AIM, um, I've, and I forget what the acronym is for, but it's basically those people that go to 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 Congress. They go and they sit and they talk to them and they they um, they look for support for money to help us do our research because of I think it's um, I have the number somewhere. The amount of money that we spent um, on research last year I think was over four hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. and most of that money comes from you. And me, um, the government continues to give us, you know, money every year to to fight this disease. Because the Alzheimer's Association is the, um, what is it? They are the uh, leading voluntary health organization in Alzheimer's care, support, and research. They are, I mean, without them, we would be so far behind what they're doing. And I mean, I always joked, I said, the Alzheimer's Association is the only organization I know that's trying to put themselves out of a job. But even if we find a cure for Alzheimer's, that might get rid of the research part, but the care and support of those that, that have it, I think will always be there. So it sounds like it's um, 
a genetic type of thing, but it sounds like it's also um, not necessarily. I mean, like, well, it is, but you can kind of prevent it or prevent it or get it based on lifestyle. Um, like, is it heavily genetic or is it um, more lifestyle or is it both? Or? It's, it's really, um, it's not genetic. Okay. But it can be. So they like to say it's not genetic because you still have a 50-50 chance of not getting it if someone in your family has it. Mm-hmm. But if you have a aunt and an uncle that both have it, your percentages go up. Can anybody so, get it? Yeah. Even So yeah. anyone could. Cheryl was a classic example. Okay, Nobody so. in her past had it. So, right. you know, yeah. I mean, my grandmother had it. It was the only one in our entire family that's ever had it. So... um like you don't have to even be genetically disposed to it right. and you can just it could just be a part of like any other disease you might just exactly get. It's just like cancer yeah i see yeah absolutely okay. wow um and um and then you know you mentioned um like she uh Cheryl could do um routine things but it was like new things that were harder yes. for her and then you mentioned that she was like singing and talking yeah. about Jesus. So I guess that was like a part of a, a routine, like a part of her life that went way back. So that continued on. Um, um, actually, um, no. Okay. Um, the weird part about the brain mm-hmm. is, is that the art part, so music, drawing, any mm-hmm. of the artsy stuff, mm-hmm. is actually the last part of the brain that's affected by Alzheimer's. Oh, and wow. I can't even begin to tell you why that is. Mm-hmm. But we played, um, we played Pandora music for Cheryl mm-hmm. every single day. I mean, the caregivers would come in, and one of the caregivers uh, was one of Cheryl's best friends. And she joked, she spoke at the funeral, and she joked and said, it, we would sit and we would listen to, to Pandora. And Cheryl would sing these worship songs. And she says, I'd be on my phone scrambling to try to find the words. And Cheryl knew them. And when my kids spoke at the funeral, um, they literally said that Cheryl broke out in song one time. She was singing It's a Small World. Mm -hmm. And then she broke out into the second verse of It's a Small World. And the kids said, we didn't know there was a second verse of It's a Small World. So that part of the brain, that was the absolute last thing she lost. Within the last six months before she died, we could play a song one of her favorites, Fernando Ortega, or um, some one of the, um, there was a, an American Idol artist that she just absolutely adored. And we could play those, and she wouldn't sing it, but, but like always on the last line, you could just hear her hit the right tone. Cheryl was an amazing singer. Mm-hmm. And so, so even until the very end, she, she, the music was there. And we were very, very lucky in our entire journey. Cheryl only got upset once or twice. And it was, I mean, there were no big deal. But there are people that are on this journey that their spouse or their loved one turns into a totally different person. And most of the time, it's mean. I've heard of pastors that have had the foulest mouths <laughs> going through this journey. Can you imagine as a spouse to someone who has served mm-hmm. and and worked with the flock and taught people how to come to Christ and, and something that was so important to watch them lose that and mm-hmm. become somebody. When I first heard those stories, I was like, come on, people reflect who they are mm-hmm. until you actually sit down and talk to somebody who's 
going through it or has been through it, uh, I don't think you'll ever believe that because I watched Cheryl grace through this entire disease. She didn't change who she was. She was, she, she had a content heart and she let us come in and do whatever we needed to do with her. The only upset that she got to me was, was the day she was diagnosed. I told her she couldn't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I work for an insurance company. Mm-hmm. I know what that can do to somebody liability wise. If you knew there was a problem and you didn't take the keys away. Mm-hmm. So for your listeners, that is one of the hardest things to do, but think about the big picture. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talk about is it's, it's, it's okay to fib to those people with Alzheimer's. And my, my best example of this is there's a lot of spouses who have lost children. And through this Alzheimer's journey, they believe that their child is sitting right next to them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And when a loved one comes in and tries to correct mom and tell her that Jimmy's mom, Jimmy's Jimmy died, Jimmy died four years ago. Don't you remember? And don't ever say, don't you remember? Cause mm-hmm. that's, but that's what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is you're causing mom to go through that entire grief process all over again. Mm-hmm. So fibbing is, is you, your goal. My ultimate goal for Cheryl was to keep her happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. And I failed on the healthy part one time. I literally, and I'm sorry I'm bouncing around, Will. Um, I literally, we were out at my mom and dad's farm where she could just walk. The gates were closed. She was totally enclosed. So I just let her walk. And so there were times that I would just let her go and just let her do what she wanted to do. And I took my eyes off of her for five minutes. And then I looked out and she wasn't there. And she ended up, uh, I don't know if she was chasing a cup or what she was doing, but she literally stepped off the side of the driveway to a seven-foot drop-off onto a rocky spillway. Mm, wow. 20 stitches in her knee, gash in her head. And the hard part for me was had to call the, the fire department, called the ambulance. So the hard part was is I failed her, right? Mm. And then to add insult to injury, they wouldn't allow me to ride in the ambulance. And I didn't know this until later, but they ha- they were protecting her because they thought I pushed her because hmm. it made no sense for her to fall off. So they think, they're thinking abuse. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you're just taking my wife away who cannot communicate with you. Right. So I'm stressing big time. We're following the ambulance. I mean, literally on their tail because when, they, when we get there, I'm jumping out. Well, the ambulance went away. We had to park another way and they had her all in there and, and started doing different things to her. And they never took the, I don't think they ever took the right x-rays from that day on. She never walked straight, but they, you know, they did a, a, a CT scan to make sure that there wasn't any brain injuries, but it's like, well, we already knew she had that. But I truly believe that when she fell, she damaged her, her spine in some way hmm. because she, she just would wince, you know, hmm. throughout, throughout that time. And so, um, you know, we hear that UTIs, uh, urinary tract infections are, um, is something that will um, progress this disease in older people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's not just dementia. I think that's in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, so you try to keep them, them healthy. Um, earlier you asked me about the numbers. Uh, when Cheryl was diagnosed, um, it, was, it was nice because they put Alzheimer's, that she had died of dementia on the, on the death certificate. Mm-hmm. But they don't typically do that because t- 
typically when you're older, you either die of pneumonia or you you die of something else because you forget. It's strange to watch somebody forget how to swallow. Hmm. Cheryl actually starved to death. She went 15 days without without any food. Mm -hmm. Um, She was on hospice for eight months. Mm -hmm. And had those hospice people not been there, I would have continued to force her to eat. But bless their hearts, they basically said, you know, Dave, I think it's time. I think it's time for, you're, you're hurting her. You're causing her more pain than good. And that was difficult. So it wasn't like a feeding tube or anything. No. It was like just, she uh, just yeah. stopped eating. Yeah. And so obviously we could have, we could have put a feeding tube in, right. but why? Right. At that point, she couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. She couldn't communicate. She wasn't right. talking to us. Um, I sang Jesus Loves Me to her every night because I'm an awful singer and that's the only song I really knew. And um, it was my opportunity to show her Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, she recognized it. Hmm. So I guess one thing that, well, going back to you saying that people change, their personalities change. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that like more of... You know, and inhibitions just being—it's—it's—is it really a change, or is it like just certain things dropping away and something else coming out? Or I would say um, the latter. Until I met people okay. who were caring with, and I keep going back to the pastor thing because I'm like, how does a pastor swear? Mm-hmm. I mean, how does that come out of your, you know, how do, how is that in your brain, and how does that become the thing that now? Everything that doesn't go your way, you're you're lambasting somebody. And until you literally sit down with someone who is feeling that, is seeing that, um, I would not have believed mm-hmm. that that was possible. And so, I truly think they change. I mean, yeah, it's pro- I mean, it's probably there somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Because they can't learn anything new. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a combination, maybe, of both. It's just kind of yeah. It's just kind of scary thinking you might change you know dementia dementia might change a person and you don't know how you know for the good yeah. for the better um so another th- thing i just think of um you know how music and art stayed with her and mm-hmm. so we would like you know if we live long enough you know we're gonna probably decline cognitively mm-hmm. um but we would like to hang on to hope to mm-hmm. be able to recall scripture perhaps um i just wonder if there's things a person can do in advance to kind of get some good stuff in them that will stay with them and provide comfort and some peace um in the you know the last stages of life Mm. um through i don't know i'm not much of a um into music but like it must have been a blessing for Cheryl to have you know that music in her, and it to be, and to be able to continue to enjoy that, um, either through her singing it or when she heard it. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, um, you know, if there's things like that, like getting scripture in, or something that in some way that might stick with a person and help them, um, you know in the final stage of life, you know? Yeah. So the thing that comes to my mind is when the kids were little, Cheryl would teach them our telephone number Mm -hmm. through song. Okay. And my kids remember that song to this day. 
Okay. If you know VeggieTales at all, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all as adults know VeggieTales. We know those silly songs with Larry, right? Mm. Why is that? It's because that is easy for us to remember. Hmm. So if we sing scripture, if we put tunes to scripture, or if you like to paint, because they say people that have Alzheimer's will lose the ability to communicate, but if you put them in front of an easel and they were a painter, they will still paint. And so if they paint with, you know, the heavens or, you know, you you take a scripture verse that they really, really like and put that into a painting, they're going to remember those things. Hmm. I have to believe. This is David's opinion, all right? Mm-hmm. Here's my disclaimer, right? Um, but if that was the absolute last thing that Cheryl lost, mm-hmm. but I mean, and it goes back to Jesus loves me. I mean, how how more raw mm-hmm. does it get than that? Yeah. And I, you know, I always say even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. When I started doing that, it was it was purely out of necessity to love on her and to give her something that I never gave her before. I never sang to her. Hmm. I'm a terrible singer. And she couldn't complain. So I had a captivated audience. Mm-hmm. But to sing that to her um showed her Jesus all the way to the end. Hmm. Yeah. Without realizing I was doing it, you know. Right. Yeah. Um so you mentioned um you know that um it was beautiful, you know, going through this with Cheryl mm-hmm. and um and you know, if you you've kind of explained a little bit about what you mean by that, but um you know, I when you said that I kind of went in a different direction. So I just want to come back to it. So just anything else that you want to mention concerning Yeah, that? you know, um Cheryl, Cheryl was a hairstylist, and when we moved down to Maryville, um, we found out we were pregnant with our first child. And she was ecstatic because she loves children, and so she was able to stay home with the kids and raise the kids. And she, she never had a career, but she did what she truly enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. So when she got sick, it was my opportunity to show her how much we loved her. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to love my wife and to give her the promise that I had promised her when I was 22 years old mm-hmm. that I would take care of her through sickness and health. And you know, I had a lot of people that, that literally told me, Christian friends, that literally told me that they couldn't do what I did. And I'm like, how can you not do it? I mean, if you you know, I, I never could understand. Um, what does that mean? I think people don't realize when they say that what they're actually saying, because um, a lot of the things that I was afraid of, I was afraid of the day that Cheryl would forget who I am. I was I was afraid of the day that um, that I would have to put her in depends. I mean, that was a fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was afraid of the day that she would not let me do something, and that day never came. But um, what I found was that most of the time, God's grace is is sufficient. I was halfway in the middle of it before I realized it happened. Someone asked me when we were going through it, they said, 
does Cheryl know who you, who you are? Because when you hear Alzheimer's, that's the first thing you think about. They, they don't know who I am. Will she know me? I don't want to come visit because she doesn't know who I am. Um, and let me just say, that's, that's a terrible way to, to look at things because you don't really know if she does or not, but the caregiver needs you to come support them and love on them because, it, like I said earlier, it's a lonely existence. But the ability that I had to um, take care of her and the grace that God gave me in the things that scared me the most and, and he had those things come and go. I, I lost my train of thought, sorry. Um, someone had asked me, uh, does she know who you are? And I said, you know, I, I don't think she does, but she trusts me. Mm-hmm. She knows that I'm somebody that she can trust. Mm-hmm. And if you, get, if you think about going inside of her brain, right? Now I don't know anybody, but for some reason I know that I can trust this person. Isn't that kind of like how Jesus is to us? Hmm. So in kind of theory, I was, I was exemplifying Christ to her. Hmm. Hmm. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but right. I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, what about caring for the caregiver? Um, what was helpful for you or what would have been helpful for you? Could have people done? Yeah. Um, so what was helpful was our church delivered over 400 meals mm-hmm. in seven years. Mm-hmm. And some of those people stayed and w- were willing to walk into the bedroom and talk to her. Mm-hmm. Um, as human beings, we struggle with being around sick people. I don't know why that is, but we, we're afraid, right? Mm-hmm. So her really, really close friends would do that. Um, but there were a lot of people in our church that I really didn't know that would send their husband or somebody would come and they would drop off food. And you could just tell that they, they wanted to say something, but they didn't exactly know what it was. Um, I had a very dear friend of mine who, he was in our small group, but he was way younger than me. Matter of fact, he had a better relationship with my son than, than he did me. But, um, he has a, a lawn mowing service. I mean, he does more than that, but, and, he called me up one day and said, Dave, I'm sending guys over to your house to mow. And, and I'm going to do that until, until, we, until Cheryl's gone or until, you know, whatever. But I want to do this for you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, you don't need to. He says, yeah, actually I do. He says, because the hour that you would spend mowing, I want you to go spend with Cheryl. And it was, it was just beautiful, mm-hmm. you know. Who thinks of this guy who looks like the Duck Dynasty guys, right? With a big beard and, you know, um, I mean, I knew Clark had that, that heart, but it was just, it was just really cool. And then when Cheryl died, I contacted him and I said, okay, Clark, I said, we need to talk about this. I said, I can, I can mow. And he says, no, I says, I'm going to give you another year. Hmm. And then, and then we had a, a couple in our church that I, I mean, she was the pianist, but I didn't really know her. They would send me a $25 gift card to restaurants. They did this for three years, every month. And what that did was it caused me to get out of the house, to go try something new, to do. And I thought, what an amazing idea. For a single person, I can do that. I may not be able to cook somebody dinner and take them dinner, but I can very easily go buy a gift card. And, you know, um, 
I found out I wasn't the only one they were doing that to. It was it was a private ministry that they had. <laughs> and the icing on the cake was she handmade every card that she sent to me. <laughs> I mean, I had a stack. I kept them all. I had a stack of cards that she would send to me and, and would handwrite just amazing things. And I found out later that they were having their own issues <laughs> medically, you know, yeah. physically. So God puts people on our hearts to do that. Um, the biggest thing that I wish people knew, I wish I knew, was when somebody is, is a caregiver, um, don't ask them, what do you need? What can I give you? Because caregivers are extremely prideful people. Nobody could take care of Cheryl like I could. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody. And giving up some of that um, was out of fear. I was afraid that somebody would drop her in the shower and I would get a call David, I'm sorry, because there was no way I was dropping her in the shower, right? I mean, I was in the shower with her. I mean, there was there was nothing going to happen. And so when people, sorry about that. When people, um, when people do that, um, what they're saying is, I really don't know what to do for you, so tell me. And what they need to do is they need to come in and say, Dave, I'm going to mow your yard for you. I'm going to bring dinner next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, I know your windows have not been washed in three months or three years. I'm going to come over and I'm I'm going to serve you in that. Mm-hmm. And um, by doing that, you can't say no, right? It's so much harder to say no, 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 don't do that as opposed to what what do you need? It's so easy to say I'm good. Mm-hmm. When I will tell you, caregivers are not good. Um, at the association, we talk a lot about, we, we tell caregivers, you need to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, who's going to take care of your loved one if something happens to you? Mm-hmm. But what we're not really good at is telling them how to take care of themselves. Because even when you walk away, when I would walk away from Cheryl, somebody would come in and sit with her, scanch me out of the house, go get away. She had a friend that would drive down from Chicago once a month and sit with her. And I have this beautiful picture on my phone where, where our friend had moved Cheryl into the front door and the sun was just shining on her. She was in the wheelchair and her friend was sitting at her feet, rubbing her hands, loving on her. And she was singing her songs that they had sang at contest in high school. Hmm. And so it's, it's those types of things. But when you go away your mind is still on what's going on back there. So it's very difficult as a caregiver to, to let go. Mm-hmm. Um, I started riding a motorcycle uh, right after Cheryl was diagnosed. I took advantage of her illness. She told me for 25 years that I couldn't have a motorcycle. <laughs> and I asked her, I, I always asked every year if I could have a motorcycle. And this particular year, she said, yes, I could. <laughs> I knew it was the disease. I went out and got a motorcycle before she could change her mind. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, Will, it was one of the beautiful, most beautiful things. Um, the first bike I bought, I asked her if she wanted to go with me one day, and she did. And then after that, she would never let me go without her. She mm-hmm. totally enjoyed it, had to buy a bigger bike, so she was safe on the bike. Mm-hmm. And it was just something that we ended up doing. And um, today... Um, there's a there's a Masonic Riders Association that that has come alongside of me, and we do the we're alls we're alls riding for a cure, and um, 
we had over 100 bikes in June come to our ride, and we raised over $3,500 for Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. That's my therapy. Mm-hmm. That's doing things like that, taking something that we love together. So I hope I answered your question. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned Cheryl in a wheelchair and then eventually yeah. in bed. Yeah. So when the brain is like from dementia shrinking or whatever mm-hmm. is happening, it's not just affecting them cognitively, but it's affecting like the body, yeah. the health of the body in Absolutely. other ways. Yeah, right? you forget how to do all that. You forget how to walk. Mm-hmm. You forget how to bathe. I mean, that's cognitive stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I didn't realize is early on when they when they have Alzheimer's, the, the brain, um, it's called spatial issues. And so they will see, like if you have a throw rug down, um, Cheryl would literally walk around the rug. She would never step on the rug. And I couldn't figure out why. And so I asked the doctor. And they said, the best that we can tell is the brain is telling her that that's a hole because that's how she perceives it. Mm-hmm. And so the brain tricks people, which is why they have visions. That's why they believe, you know, um, if I misplace something, you and I misplace stuff all the time, right? Our kids do as well. So we know it's not an age thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a person with dementia misplaces things, they cannot think through the process of where did I put that. So now the next thing is Will came in and stole um, my checkbook. Will came in. And so then, and then they continued to, so now, now you're stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from them. They, uh, they run with that. And that's, that's typical. Again, we never had that, but it's typical within, um, within the world of Alzheimer's. <laughs> Okay, um, and then you mentioned I, this, and this might be more of a recent thing: mental health therapy and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, um, what um, you know, what is taking care of oneself? You know, one's mental health mean like what is you know what's that um, about? For me, it was. Uh, so Cheryl uh, was diagnosed in 12, passed away in 19, right before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we go to a very conservative church, right? So when Cheryl went through the, um, when she went through the repeating stage, mm-hmm. we had to quit going to church because it was, it just, it was distracting. So we started watching TV uh, and we started watching the services online. And so, so repeating stage and what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah. So everything she heard, she would repeat oh, I out see. loud. Okay. Right. Yeah. Which... I mean, it was distracting at home. It was distracting at church. It was distracting everywhere. Almost as bad as, um, are, are we going to church today? Five minutes later, are, are we going to church today? They continued to ask questions because they can't retain what the answer was. Right. I that's see. a very big, uh, that's a very big uh, caregiver issue because it's difficult to continue to answer somebody mm-hmm. without biting their head off. <laughs> so for me... Um, it was seclusion. I mean, I literally pushed all of our friends away mm-hmm. um, because I didn't want them to. I didn't want them to to go through what I was going through, and it was just easier. COVID came through, and it and it it allowed me to continue to stay in in hibernation to convince myself that I was doing all these things. And now, five years later, um, I. Uh, I didn't realize that I was actually depressed. I didn't realize that 
things that, that I could do. I, I used to travel for work all the time. And I had a big anxiety attack when I traveled for an Alzheimer's convention with my daughter. And it scared me to death. And so it was at that point that I um, had talked to a couple people and, and they said, you know, you really should think about getting counseling. And so I dropped my pride and um, having somebody to talk to, to um, get support in like, like my biggest thing was my anxiety and um, my self-worth. I had convinced myself that, that I, you know, that I didn't have anything to offer anybody because I was worn out from taking care of Cheryl. Hmm. So those are the things that I'm working on today. I'm working on, I'm working on a lot of things. Actually, we talked about my health mm-hmm. earlier. Um, I, uh, I had convinced myself that the, the way I was doing my life was fine. I was fine. You know, uh, I still have three years before I retire and I wasn't even living for the now. I was wasting my years away to get to retirement and not even knowing what I wanted to do when I got to retirement. It just, I mean, so I had let myself go to the point of, I wasn't, I wasn't living. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of that's changed or since January, a lot of that's changed. Um, one of the, one of the really cool things is, so I helped uh, start a men's support group for Alzheimer's because it's difficult as a man to go to a, a mixed support group because, um, there are some things you really want to know that you're just not willing to ask in mixed company. And we started this support group and some of the questions that have come out, you definitely would not have been asked in a mixed company. Can I just say that without going into detail? Mm -hmm. But the really surprising thing is we had a last, uh, the last time we met, we had a new guy that came in and one of the questions he asked, he says is, what do you guys feel about counseling? Do you think it's something that we should do? Do you think it's, it's not worth it? You know, what, and I don't know what he expected his answer to be, but there were nine men on that call. One asked the question, and eight said, counseling's important, you need to do it. And I would have said, maybe 30% would have said yes. So, so we have been fed a lie that men don't go to counseling. And that was my wake-up call. It was kind of my validation of going to counseling was not a bad thing. So is there something that uh, friends can do for each other that kind of fills that place of counseling? Or do you need a professional? I think friends can. So like I had some really dear friends of mine that would call me up once a month and say, we're going to lunch. Mm -hmm. And then they would sit and just let me, (laughs) can I say puke on your podcast? (laughs) They would just let me puke the things that, that I, you know, that I was holding in. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, in a way, I mean, they weren't professional, trust me, <laughs> but they were willing to, to listen and they were godly men, godly men. And I know that, that it didn't stop at those conversations. I know they prayed for me mm-hmm. based on comments that their wives had made to me, mm-hmm. you know, positive. And, you know, I expected them to go home and talk to their wives about, mm-hmm. about what we talked about. Because I know that they were they were praying with their wives as well, so okay. that was cool. So, listening, being a good listener yeah. is probably yeah. helpful, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I guess um, maybe um, just 
turning a corner a little bit and just kind of many times I ask my guests just, you know, what is life all about for them? And, you know, kind of just a philosophical question, um, you know, from your perspective, um, you know, just what's it all about? Life is all about um, being loved. Allowing Jesus to love you and and to give others love and compassion and um, to live every day for the moment. Some big thing I'm learning, right? I was always a what's next kind of guy. And um, living for the moment is bigger than probably anything else that I'm learning in that there are so many joys that we pass by and we miss because we're not willing to stop, settle, and just enjoy what God's doing in our lives. Mm-hmm. How do you let Jesus love you? Like, what do you mean by that? Hmm. Um, go back to the Jesus Loves Me song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Because the Bible tells me so. And now I've forgotten the words. <laughs> um, for the Bible tells me so. Basically, it, it, the Bible tells us to, to be like little children and to soak up what, what Scripture has to tell us. And the only way that Jesus can love you is to be in the Word. Hmm. And the times that I have not been in the Word are the times that I feel lost, mm-hmm. um, disconnected. And uh, one, of the, one of the most beautiful things is um, about a year before Cheryl was diagnosed, uh, we had a new pastor that came in and he wanted to talk to everybody on the, you know, in the congregation so he said, everybody that has a five-year anniversary, I'd like to have come in. Well, it was just so happened to be our 25th wedding anniversary. So we went and talked to him, and he says, is there anything that, that I can help you guys with? And I said, I said, yeah. I said, I love Cheryl with all my heart, but for some reason, I, I can't pray with her. And um, he gave us some little itty-bitty things to work on. And that was the biggest gift, because had I not, had that conversation, had we, had Cheryl and I not had that conversation, we would, I wouldn't have had that foundation and that courage to pray with her through this illness. Mm-hmm. And so God's timing is perfect, mm-hmm. no matter what we go through. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess we'll kind of um, wrap up, but is there anything else you would like um you know, to bring up that we haven't brought up. And also before we go, um, you know, if you want people to follow you or the organization you're a part of, you know, we'll, you know, you can give some information about that, but just anything else. Yeah. So I am not, I mean, I'm a Facebook guy, but that's about it. And I'm kind of weaning away from some of that. So I don't do, uh, social media, um, a lot, but I will tell you, um, ALZ.org 
is how you get a get a hold and, and get all the information at the Alzheimer's Association okay. and 1-800-272-3900 um, is a is a place that people can call 24/7 365 days a year even Christmas and it is not a call center it is um, it is a, a a place in Chicago that is um, staffed with certified clinicians and um, they will help you navigate alz.org because there is so much information out there. It's, sometimes it's hard to find. So if you're not computer savvy, call the number. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I really appreciate you being a guest. It's been a really good conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.